0: Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Living Real Podcast. This is a place for discovering what it truly means to live out real faith in real life for Christ in the real world. My name is Melanie Schall, your host, as well as founder and editor in chief of Living Real Magazine. This season, we will be providing a two part podcast every month. Part one, We'll be opening God's Word together to grow as we deepen and strengthen the roots of our faith, to discover more about God and His character, and to pray for infusing what we learn into our everyday lives. Part two will be a conversation with a guest to encourage us along our faith walks to become more like Christ. I'm so excited about this season, and I hope you are. So are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Living Real Podcast. As we open the Word of God together today, our focus will be on the word mercy, God's mercy towards us, His creation. When you think about the word mercy, what comes to mind? The word grace comes to my mind because mercy and grace usually go hand in hand. God's mercy and grace. Or the word love, like in this line from the timeless hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness by Thomas Obadiah Chisholm. Join with all nature in manifold witness to Thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Mercy is frequently spoken alongside another of God's attributes, which makes it all the more powerful. The most quoted scripture using a form of the word mercy also comes to mind. It's from Lamentations three twenty-two through 23. It reads, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The author of the great hymn I quoted earlier states this truth of God's word as he says, Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. I was reading a devotional recently that expressed the mercy of God in a way I had never thought about before. The author was explaining how Christians should live with a resurrection mindset every day of our lives. The mercy, love, and grace Jesus made known to us on the cross was gloriously displayed at the resurrection, the conquering of death and the grave. He gave us life everlasting. Every morning when we wake up, we have the power to rise up and walk in the light of God's mercy and compassion. Yesterday, the day before the resurrection, doesn't exist anymore for the believer. There is no yesterday anymore of sin and shame. There is no sinful past to sulk in for the child of God. Every day is as if the resurrection of Jesus Christ just happened every day is a display of his glory in and through our lives a new beginning his mercy reigns victorious we have our faith and hope in christ and therefore we have absolutely nothing to fear of the future through the lord's mercies we are not consumed let that sink in for a moment We have nothing to fear. Hallelujah and amen. Another use of the word mercy is when a death row prison sentence is set for someone found guilty and the judge follows up with a declaration, may God have mercy on your soul. My guest for part two of the podcast was the recipient of these words at the age of 20 years old after being sentenced to death row. On a stone-cold floor of his tiny cell, five paces from wall to wall, James McPhee answered the pursuit of God and gave his life to Jesus Christ. That day, mercy spilled inside the prison walls And into the hardened walls of Jimmy's heart. In the years to follow, his death row sentence was miraculously removed and he was given a life sentence instead. Even though, like clockwork, he appeared 17 times before the parole board, only to hear denied again and again. He was content to live out his life sentence as a spiritually free man by serving his fellow inmates, sharing Christ, and continuing to grow in his faith and knowledge of the Word of God. Many years later, on April 28, 2020, almost 45 years after being sentenced to death row, the prophetic words spoken by the judge would come full circle. At his 18th visit to the parole board, James McPhee was set free again, this time to walk out of prison a free man. Mercy from death row to life abundant. Wow, what a story. What a miracle. Jimmy's life is a picture of the real mercy of God. Just as God called his people to himself, In 2 Chronicles 7.14, God extends mercy to anyone who will bow before him, ask for forgiveness with a genuine spirit of repentance, humble themselves, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways. The moment we do, he promises to do something miraculous when he says, Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land not only is land interpreted as a physical place on earth but it can also mean our individual lives as well god's miraculous doesn't always mean we will be removed from our physical circumstances but it does mean we can be restored from the inside out and that's real freedom will you pray with me dear jesus what a beautiful word, mercy. It's something we are so undeserving of, but yet with infinite portions of love and grace, you pour compassion over us. Help us to grasp this concept as well as our, in, our finite minds can to recognize that every morning your mercies are new, just as if we're the ones discovering the empty tomb for the first time and realizing you're alive. Your power that dwells within us through the Holy Spirit allows us to laugh in the face of fear and to live as if every day is resurrection day. What a relief to know that we have the joy of you, Lord, living inside of us every moment of every day. In the holy name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Please stay tuned for part two, Living Real with Jimmy McPhee. Today, as we move into part two of this episode, let me say, I am in awe of the story God is writing through this man's life. It's so unbelievable that it proves God is still performing miracles today. My guest is James McPhee, or Jimmy, which he likes to be called. And this gentleman underscores the truth of how, if we surrender our lives into the hands of Christ, he will transform our lives for his purpose and glory. Living Real Magazine has published Jimmy's redemption story called Mercy from Death Row to Life Abundant in our Spring-Summer 2021 issue. It's available to read online at livingrealmag.com. I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast today, Jimmy McPhee. Welcome, Jimmy.
1: Hey, welcome. I am feel the welcome because I feel so almost like I've been here before. <laughs> I, I, uh, Living Real, I thank you so much for this opportunity, Melanie. Just seeing my story in print is amazing. and I, I, I prayed to the Lord uh, about a year ago when I was granted parole. Uh, I just wanted to to continue to share His mercy and grace in my life, and I pray that He give me opportunities to see the world in the process of it, and He continues to enrich my life with that every day.
0: So, uh, You are just the manifestation of God's favor. It's exciting. Well, I don't want to take up much time with me talking a lot, so let's dive right in and tell a little bit about your story. So let's begin. What precipitated your journey into the prison system?
1: Well, Melanie, I think the the best place to begin is uh, probably with the first step, and that's way back. Uh, I was only uh, 15 months old, actually, when my mother separated from my father mm-hmm. and left him to raise me. And uh, he was a good man, but he was a hard man. Uh, I like to say that, uh, though he's he provided well, he worked hard, but he also drank hard, uh, he womanized hard, he lived life hard. Mm. And, of course, being equipped uh, at that time to be a father was a challenge for him. Uh, my mother and father had separated. That was his third wife. And my father would be married a total of six times in his life. Wow. So I would have three more stepmothers uh, by the time of age 12. Mm. And in that time, I would, you know, I like to call my story Voices and Choices. The voice, first voice I heard was my dad's, not my mom's. So the absence of her voice, as well as... The, the, sometimes the loudness of his voice at night. I would hear uh, loud arguing, doors slamming, and sometimes in the morning someone would be gone. Sometimes it would be me scooped up in the middle of the night and carried somewhere else. And that instability and, and the failure to build long-term relationships with three different stepmothers, having lost, of course, my own And as I got older to understand and the feeling that I didn't matter much, Mm-hmm. And uh, at, by the age of twelve, though it was Dad and I back together, we called it bachelor's pad. <laughs> and uh, though as turbulent as my home life was, it was amazing how well I did socially, school. I was well adjusted. I uh, had actually I was an a student, an honor roll student, and a two sport athlete. And wonderful coaches and teachers. and people that looking back, I see God had people placed in my life to pour into me. For me to receive a lot of the love that I didn't receive at home, Wow. but by the time I was 15, I began to show some anger, some uh, on the ball field as well as in the, in the in the school, and I and I got a job about 14 uh, pumping gas and old. I don't even know if any most people even know what they are anymore. And that's the self are the uh, full service gas stations. Yes, and of course we did the windshields and checked the oil and all that. And I loved the job. It put money in my pocket, yes, uh, but cars I loved. Cars brought girls, so I was all over that, of course. (laughs) And about 15 or 16, I really got, I drifted away from a lot of the stability I had with the coaches and the teachers I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I began to run with a a harder crowd, an older crowd, from hanging out, you know, in in evenings and things after school. And slowly but surely, my interest, my focus drew away from the school and sports, the only stability I really had in life, to a street kind of uh, listen to the voices of. Uh, fat older people uh, encourage you. you. Don't have to go to school today, Jimmy. You know, it, you know it's those type of things. And of course, uh, alcohol was introduced, and then gradually to uh, marijuana, and then harder things. And this was like the 1970s. So mm-hmm. at that time, of course, drugs weren't on every street corner, but they were still available. But regardless of that, no matter the time frame, no matter what, whether it was alcohol or drugs, my attempt to fill that what was lacking, what was missing inside, never could satisfy. And it's, it's really a lesson, I think, for many, because we, we, when we try to fill that void that's that's shaped only for God, mm. then we're never going to feel fulfilled in this world through any kind of substance, you know. Exactly. But, of course, I didn't know that at those years. I continued on with the party lifestyle. My life basically became one party to another, and then one drug sale to another, supporting habits, and then one prison cell after another upon uh, the arrest that continued to mount through my uh, law-breaking and, and et cetera. Wow. So at the age of 19, I received a three-year sentence for narcotics possession. Out of that three years, I served one, mm-hmm. but that one year changed me, and it wasn't for the, for the better. Actually, I like to say that I, I didn't get better, I got bitter. The uh, prison, just the whole idea, the degradation of it, the indignities, the violence of uh, fighting over something seemed so insignificant to us here on the outside is all important on the inside, right down to toothpaste and soap. Because if you won't defend uh, the little things you have through standing up in a violent fashion, then you'll be run over. You become Mm -hmm. prey in a sense. Right. But all that impacted me. And though I'd been on the streets and I'd understood some hardness of life, I hadn't been exposed to this type. So uh, 14 months later, I was released. And I like to say that I was released more like a a time bomb disguised as a 20-year-old kid. Wow. And, uh, and mm. just four months and seven days after my release, I shot two men, killing one of them and seriously wounding the second. For those crimes, I was tried, convicted, and sentenced to die in the electric chair as a 20 year old child, basically. Goodness. And uh, I still remember the last words of the judge that day. Judge, words that would resonate and still do across uh, decades, and that is that. Uh, May, uh, may God have mercy upon your soul. It's the last words uttered by the judge. May God have mercy upon your soul. Well, and upon hearing those words, I turned from the judge to see my father standing in the front row of the courtroom. And he seemed to age 20 years, visibly age 20 years in that, in that mm-hmm. moment to watch his only son escorted away to a death row cell. But what I felt, of course, was shame and some fear. I channeled, as I had been doing for years, into anger in that moment. My father, you see, I said already, he was a hard guy. He didn't express a lot of emotion. I remember he telling me when I was seven years old, big boys don't cry. I come home with a skinned knee falling off my bicycle. What are you crying for? You Mm -hmm. know? And that was his approach to life. Well, I like to use the analogy of a, a Coke bottle. If you take the top off and you walk around with that Coke bottle, it shakes it, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, and eventually the thumb comes off. And when the thumb comes off, it makes a mess. Well... My dad did the same thing with his emotions and I began to basically, we we tend to emulate those around us Mm -hmm. and that's what I did. So here I am now in a a courtroom having been sentenced to die and my only response is to get angry because the same way that we walk through life, you know, bottling up our emotions, Mm -hmm. eventually the thumb comes off and you make a mess. I'd make the most serious mess you could make in place in the planet. The most precious thing in this world is a human life, and I was responsible for taking that. And though I I felt the things that I'd done wrong, I channeled that pain into more anger. So I basically declared war on the world that day. Mm-hmm. And as I was escorted away and sent to the old Central Correctional Institution here in Columbia to. Uh, to be housed in a cell. I can still remember the door slamming behind me as the officers extor- escorted me into the cell. And as they took the chains off of my back to the door, I'm kind of surveying my surroundings now. And a little yellow bulb up in the corner and a, a combination sink and toilet and, a, and, a, and a one bed, and just enough space to walk back and forth. And I measured those paces over time, and five paces in turn was the boundaries that I had now. Had, I had set through my poor decisions in life. Mm-hmm. And those five, I can't tell you the miles that I walked, five paces in turn, five paces in turn. And what you do, even though you're confined physically, though, it allows the, the mind to race to to think. And of course, I reflect and asking questions like, Jimmy, how'd you get here? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any answers. I knew I'd done a terrible thing, but what I didn't understand is the why of it. And it would be years before I would, because I had to first understand and take responsibility for what I'd done, before and of course the repentance process can 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 actually take effect. <laughs> I'm not being church coming up. I had one stepmother who was Catholic, and I had a f- short term in the church as my, maybe seven or eight years old, mm-hmm. and that was the extent of my churching. So I didn't have a lot of knowledge, uh, you know, Christ or Christianity, and I didn't. Well, the very next day, after arriving in that death row cell, imagine, a little uh, Asian man appears at my door, and he had an armful of books. Turned out he was Japanese, and his name is Frankie-san.
0: Frankie-san. Well,
1: well, Frankie-san introduced himself this way, said, my name is Frankie-san. I love you, and Jesus loves you. He doesn't care what crimes you've committed. He will forgive you if you let him the gospel in just a few phrases basically in those few words it was the gospel did i recognize it as that then no and was i recognizing god for any idea that i could be forgiven for the things i'd done i didn't have the concept of that not only that i was so blinded by anger and rage and the hurt kind of once again manifest itself in that anger till I i would just push back away from any kind of Uh, introductions to Jesus you know Mm -hmm. but he was a nice man a kindly man he had books and I loved to read I've been a reader even as a youngster and uh, he gave me you know books and and give me some odds and ends I want to say it was like soap and toothpaste just a nice guy come to find out he was the librarian for Central Correctional Institution but he was also a volunteer he had given his entire life up to this point 55 years in the Department of Corrections. Wow. But without getting too far ahead of the story here, um, I would spend the next three years on death row. An angry kid striking out at officers, picking fights with guys on death row with me, just bottling up, fe- <clears throat> feeling the fear and the anger. You know, the old timers would sit around and tell stories, like kind of like a small town. The mm-hmm. old timers sit around like on the ports to tell stories. Well, in a prison, in this cell block, the bars are open so you can hear the people pretty clear at nighttime when it's quieter above you or below you or whatever. And they used to sit around and tell the story of how the electric chair got its name of Old Smokey. Uh And it would be the poor contact points when they shaved your arms and legs to make solid contacts. And if they misfired when they actually uh, flipped the switch, it would burn the flesh causing a smoke and a stench, you can imagine, Mm -hmm. rather than the current flowing through you. And so they would tell the story, yeah, Old Smokey about to get another one. You know, really just not intentionally at me, but I'm the youngest on, the, on death row. I'm a 20-year-old kid, and I'd be a fool <laughs> not to be scared, right. but I was a bigger fool for channeling it, not expressing it, and turning it into more anger. And that's basically how my my life became. And the next three and a half years, I, I stayed there. I turned 21, 22, and 23 on death row. And by the grace of God that I did not recognize then, not just myself, but all 26 men on that particular death row were resentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole due to a flaw in South Carolina's death penalty statute upon a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court. Um. So all 26 of us were released. Now you would think, you, know, you probably say, well this has got to be a story where, you know, he's faced his mortality and he's been blessed by God and released and he's given his life to God. No, actually the next 20 years I would spend is reckless as aimless and is lost in the darkness. In fact, the very same things that so I so abhorred. My first prison sentence, I became mm. taking advantage of people. Uh, I became more violent. Fighting became natural to me. I was trained a little bit in boxing as a kid, and my dad had me in the ring a little bit so I could take care of myself. But unfortunately, that will become your persona almost as to what you way you want to be seen. Don't mess with me. You know what I mean. Mm. Right. And that don't mess with me kind of approach to life works well in an aggressive world. You know what I mean, and, mm-hmm. and actually, anger works well in an aggressive world. So, when you uh, impose your anger or, or aggression on others, you generally can get your way through these through situations. You see, mm-hmm. it's like a way of control. Right. And we have very little in prison, but there's some things you can. Well, I would spend the next 20 years like that, in trouble, in and out of solitary confinement for my behavior. I became a drug dealer in prison. I loaned money, and you got to pay. In prison, you can't run a business. You can't call the authorities to collect illegal money. You've got to collect this, mm. and so they don't pay. They have to, you know, actually have to set examples of people. And that, and I just that, that was me taking advantage, just any way to make a dollar was good. But in 1993, I was actually arrested again within the prison for two serious assaults on an inmate and a correctional officer who tried to intervene. And for mm. those crimes, I was not only taken to the outside to General Sessions Court, given ten more years on my sentence but then placed in, in what they call supermax. Now, supermax is prison within a prison. And it's, you're locked away now, as we are locked away in prison for breaking society's rules, now we're locked away within prison for breaking prison, prison rules. rules. Oh, so yes. this, now they've told me, not only do I have 10 more years on my time, but they told me this was for the duration of my prison time is where I was going to be housed. What that meant with the life sentence and almost no chance for parole, though I was going up for parole all this time. For after the 10th year, I went up every two years. But they told me to a man, You got your life back, son, but you're not going to ever see the outside of prison walls again. Mm-hmm. And I lived as hopeless as that for most of those years, you know. Well, here I am now, five paces in turn again. This time it's a different cell and a different prison, but it's still locked away. And uh, I was a reader. We had, a, we had a library there, too. It wasn't Frankie's son, but it was another lady that brought books in. And uh, basically two books changed my life. The Holy Bible, God's spoken word to his children, and a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a World 2 Nazi death camp survivor. He mm-hmm. lost his whole family there, but he was a trained psychiatrist and doctor when he went in. And so he was an observer, and he had a wonderful a set of takeaways that he learned within a very tough situation and he put in this little book and in that search for meaning uh, racially became something that really spoke to me that I didn't understand there were options I had become my environment I had become a, a product of that environment but I had a choice but this is how he led me to that he said that when all freedoms are taken and he watched it as people were led to the gas chambers worked to death starved to death slowly there were always two types of people that he witnessed there. One would make, take their very last and give it to another, even if it might be at the expense of their own life, to help extend another's life. The concept, mm-hmm. of course, of putting others first, something very foreign to me, <laughs> <laughs> and especially in prison. Yes. But then there were the other type who uh, would wait until maybe you're too weak to mount a fight and then snatch what you had. Mm-hmm. To basically a savage or the saint that Jesus Christ says we are as believers and it spoke to me I can still remember sitting a book down and pacing the floor I knew there was another way I just didn't know what it was I remembered Frankie Son hmm. 20 years before and I had known him off and on through the years but it was a superficial relationship but I watched this guy loving, caring guy always doing good things for the prisoners I wrote him a letter I said uh, I'm in a tough space uh, you know I'm locked down, they tell me maybe forever, Uh, I'm tired of the life I'm living, I want something different. I don't know what it is, but I want something else. And uh, he wrote me right back, and uh, almost verbatim, the words he'd given me years before. I love you, and Jesus loves you. He doesn't care what crime you committed, Jimmy, he'll forgive you if you let him. Give all your hopelessness, your brokenness, your loneliness, your anger. Drop it at the cross, and He will begin the healing. Hmm. Well, I received a letter, but I didn't receive you know the content real well because I got trust issues. Go back to a child, a mother who walked away, a father was very distant. <clears throat> Various people in and out of my life, and any the stability I did have, I walked away from that as a teenager, as I said. But uh, I remember pacing the floor one day, and I finally, I said, uh, I can't do this. I sat down on a stone bunk during the day. I would fold my little thin mattress up it over and I sat on the concrete to read and things and uh I remember uh, I started to confess I didn't know how to pray I just began to confess to the Lord sorry for the things I've done for the life the most precious thing in this world is a human life and I was responsible for that uh, just' the various the pain I saw in my father the emotional hurt I put on family it just I just continued and as I continued to pour out the tears poured out of me as well and I remember it seemed like they were in proportion to releasing the pain, the the tears flowed. And uh, I don't know how long it went on, but it was a puddle of water, I remember, when I got up afterwards. But I remember when the tears stopped, and uh, I stopped confessing that for the first time in my life, I felt a peace I didn't even know existed. Hmm. I felt a peace in my soul for the first time. And I also knew, without a doubt, that I would never again be alone in this world. As sure as I was sitting on that concrete, cold concrete, I knew that I'd never again be alone. And I understand now that I didn't understand then. The mm-hmm. Indwelling Holy Spirit, you know. Well, I spent the next five years in solitary confinement. Reading, studying. I actually set up a, a disciplined routine for my life in that very cell. Because wow. I understood that though I couldn't see tomorrow, I could do something today. And I began to read, study, take notes, began to write actually three different... Uh, books and now published things I wrote from that solitary cell. Years later, writing down thoughts from 20, 25 years in prison, you know, and just I wanted to, I I got I gained momentum in life by learning and growing, reading the Bible, but there was something that bothered me so much, and I didn't have a grasp of, of the faith, and I remember the word truth kept speaking to me, and I remember John 18:37 where uh, he's uh, Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, and And he said, so you're you're a king, man, and they're going back and forth. And he says, you say that I'm a king. I come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. And anyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Of course, Pontius Pilate's response was, what is truth? Just like mine was, what is Mm -hmm. truth? I kept digging, John 8, 31 and 32, of course, if you are truly my disciples, you abide in my word. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I can't tell you that it didn't resonate with me. And my <laughs> spiritual immaturity locked away in a solitary confinement cell. Freedom, please, you know, let me get some of that, you know. But I didn't understand. I wasn't looking for a physical key to the front door. Right. I was looking for that spiritual key, that love and that forgiveness of Jesus Christ opened up that rusty lock on my heart. And uh, over time, I began to understand. But the truth, at last, for the sake of brevity here, I like to use uh, the Matthew twenty-eight version, where uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to the to the tomb to dress what they think is going to dress Jesus' body, and there's <clears> the, <throat> the angel sitting on the rock, and uh, so where's Jesus? And he says he's not here. He has risen just as he said he would. Billy Graham said that the most powerful words ever uttered in mankind's history. Mm, that's for sure. Yes, for and sure. It really and it spoke to me in such a way because see. As he walked out of that tomb, I too, we too, can walk out of our personal tombs. Because see, I didn't have to be locked away in a physical prison for me to be imprisoned. I had four walls surrounding me, hurt, hatred, anger, addictions for most of my life. And what I did as I continued to read and continued to pray, and Frankenstein pouring into me, one by one, Jesus Christ knocked those walls down. Not only did he knock them down, he turned them into bridges in their relationship with him and to people in the world. Because after seven years in solitary that time, from 93 to 2000, I had been in prison 25 years. And I had served 16 years in solitary confinement to that point. Mm. And uh, they came and said, you've been released to the prison yard again. Now I had a brand new head full of knowledge. I've been studying. I, I I wanted books they didn't have in the library. I would order books, and the librarian would come to downtown Richland County Library and check out books to make sure I, that I was being, because God provided a way for me to continue wow. to learn and grow. Exactly. And uh, in the year 2000, I was released to the prison population, but I was having some difficulties initially, because what you you don't understand, you can have all the head knowledge in the world, but it's not going to be moved from the head to the heart until you've actually walked it out. Right. Right. With you others. You know? That's right. If you don't have application, mm-hmm. it's just not going to be. So I took some time for me. You get tested and pushed on a prison yard, you know, and people are trying to hook you out of something or whatever it is. How am I going to respond? So it took some years for me to actually understand, actually have prepared responses for the temptations and the issues to come. Mm. And that's part that, of that spiritual maturity that I had to gain. Right. You know? And over the next four or five years, around 2005, I, I, I started going to church more. I began to get more involved. I went into the education department. And I took a test in there. I had a GED that I got when I was 16. I failed to mention that earlier. But when I left school early, I got a GED and was out in the world on my own, basically. But um, I did so well on the test, they asked, offered me a tutoring job to help a teacher's aid. I said, sure, I'll give it a try. Why not? You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know a lot of the knowledge that I gained, of course, from self-study. And actually, it would come in handy. And I actually enjoyed what I was doing. And I can remember one of the young men telling me one day, he had an extremely uh, difficult algebra problem. I love to teach math. It was my favorite thing. And, and uh, he got down. I was watching over his shoulder. And I gave out a holler. Yeah, good job. He said, man, you, must, you get more excited about this stuff than I do. <laughs> and I said, you know, you might be right. Mm-hmm. And I knew then that God had me right where I was supposed to be
0: exactly. What really strikes me up to this point <clears throat> is I keep having resonated in my mind is what the judge told you at the very beginning when you're, you were sentenced. Yes. May God have mercy on your soul. Did that judge? Wow the pro- <laughs> the prophetic <clears throat> words out of mm-hmm. his or her mouth telling you, um, you know, that May God have mercy on your soul. Not thinking more than likely that you would ever be where you are today. But that just is amazing to me. It's just planted in my heart to know that those words were spoken and that that's exactly what God was going to do with your life. He was gonna have mercy on your soul. So continue.
1: Over and over, uh, you know, when I look back over my life, you know. But you know, that mercy, that voice that I heard in that courtroom that day, Another voice. That's why my story is titled that. Because from the voices of the streets to the voice of the judge, the lack of a mother's voice or my father's voice, or, or the uh, the prison voices I listened to that drew me deeper into that darkness, and then here's Frankie San's voice now mm-hmm. speaking into me, guiding me, telling me just keep digging some when I was trying to find the answer to the truth. You know, right. and and I will look back over my life. And it's wonderful, because I like to say that, you know, the voices that we listen to determine our choices, and our choices determine our life. Mm-hmm. And so often we neglect to give the uh, proper credence to the voices we are, that are surrounded, or so to the, you know, the importance of them, what we're listening to. Right. Even to this day, what mm-hmm. websites are we listening to, or looking at, or how are we fueling the mind every day? You know. Mm-hmm. But as the time went here, this uh, mercy would continue to unfold, from release from lockup, release from death row, just surviving somehow, at this point, about 30 years in prison to where I am now. Mm. And then uh, finding the value in being a tutor and a teacher. But what I discovered, too, is tutoring wasn't so much about the numbers when I taught math. It was about the relationship build, the yes. availability. Because you can have all ability in the world, but you must have availability to go with the ability yes and 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 that's so important and, and being torn into these guys you can trust me i'm going to be here for you some of the sessions would be all mentoring and no math no math yeah <laughs> but that was fine because mm-hmm. over time that's how the trust was developed right. and and i be that's and that's how i became over the next year four, four or five years they had a program a rehabilitation program called character base units and they were built on peer-to-peer mentors to mentoring Teachers, we, we taught each other. It was all peer-to-peer and peer-to-peer accountability. So we had a set contract we want to live by, and we're going to hold each other to it. Mm. And that program helped transform my life. It was a God-centered program, Christ-centered, but we we, call it, we didn't call it faith-based, it was character-based. So mm-hmm. we'd be all-inclusive. So all faith, everyone could be a part right. of it. You know what I mean? And uh, it went wonderfully. For the next 10 years, I, I began to speak. I, be, I went from being a... Uh, a mentor to a lead mentor helping other mentors become more effective same thing with tutor tutor, then a lead tutor I taught public speaking I I learned computers and six months later I was teaching them I just wanted to learn Mm -hmm. and I knew that these skills were important and I didn't know what God's plan was in my life and I want to say this before I finish the, the last part of the story here what God did in that solitary cell to me what Jesus showed me not only the forgiveness he gave me um, to help me drop the shackles of shame and anger and guilt and all those things, and, and then turn those walls, of course, into bridges. Mm-hmm. He changed my perspective. And, and what he does is give me Melanie, he gave me a view, first of all, my cell became, from a prison cell to a prison classroom. From My prison journey became a prison scholarship, as I'll come out here in a minute. But my, more than that, my perspective now, that word, you know, it comes from a Latin word that means not look at, but to look through. Mm. What God did is give me a spiritual perspective to keep asking God, what is it you have me working towards and then getting on board with that? Because as we continue with a perspective of just looking at our situation, then we're looking at the issues and the problems instead of, because now the, it's not the outside where the problem is, where the battle is. Mm. The struggle is in here, it's in our heart. Am I gonna trust God? And what he's shown me is, when I drop it at the cross every day, just like Frankie advised me to do, and I still do it to this day, Mm. he continues to grow me and bring me to where he wants me to be, introduces fabulous people into my life that grow me and all people that I can help. And as the years went on, that same perspective change would grow me in, into a teacher, like I said. And uh, After seven years in the, this character-based unit, people recommended I reached the highest level of leadership was called Coordinator Program. There's once only three or four of us making daily decisions, over 280 men in this program. Wow. Just amazing opportunity. I loved mm-hmm. it because the more I could, people I could touch, the more I loved it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, in 2017, somebody recommended that I uh, apply for the CIU Prison Initiative. And that's Columbia International University here in Columbia. And they bring professors in, same curriculum, same everything they do on the, on the campus, on the outside. And so I signed up for it. It's a stringent process. You gotta, you, it's pretty hard. You're vetted pretty hard. But one of 15 I was chosen, actually 13 that year, out of 20,000 inmates was chosen to get a two-year college degree. And with a, I aim towards being a peacemaker and a light to the prison yards. Okay? Mm. I graduated two years later, and um, our goal, as I said, and I want you to stop and think what I just said. When I graduated that program, they told me I was to go out and be a peacemaker to the prison yards and be a light to the darkness. Wow. Not to be the darkness that I had been and not to be the violent criminal that I had been, but to be a peacemaker.
0: Mm.
1: And what a blessing it was so i mean, only Christ
0: that's God's only, mercy only, that only is God's God. mercy
1: that's right exactly well I want to I must mention this there were several supporters there when I graduated let them come in from the outside and watch us receive our degrees mm-hmm. cap, gown, the whole everything oh, so cool my sister was there who had come back into my life who had left when I was a kid we got we connected teenagers and then she would watch me for 45 years of basically a roller coaster of insanity for many years of that to watch me receive my Bible degree wow but there was someone else in that audience that day too. And his name was Kuzo Maishi, also known as Frankie Son.
0: Oh, just gives me chills.
1: <laughs> At 90 years of age, he was in the audience to see me graduate with a Bible degree, the man that brought the gospel to a death row, and um, Never gave up, mm. just a grace flowing through him. And I can still remember in his letters, how he tell me, oh, you can do good things. Oh, I believe in you just amazing how God spoke to me, to those people, to the
0: various voices, you know. Yes, and just to a a volunteer for the prison who Mm -hmm. just spoke words of truth, simple words of truth that stuck
1: with you. Well, see, the two primary elements that I needed most was love that I hadn't received as a child and the hope Mm. that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us in this world.
0: That's
1: right. And in those two, everything just seemed to, to blossom, you know. And as uh, I was released from that program, uh, uh, it sent on my mission in <coughs> December of 19. Three months later, I was scheduled for another parole hearing.
0: And how many parole hearings had you this had? This
1: would be my 18th eighteen time before parole the parole hearings. 35, I've been in prison 45 years. I spent 35 years of that going appearing before the parole board. And uh, on March the 18th, 2020, 44 years, 9 months and 20 days from the day that I was sentenced to die, they said, Mr. McPhee, your parole has been granted. Wow. Yeah. And that very same night, I prayed to God, I will serve you the rest of my life and tell the world about the mercy that that, got, that, that judge asked for 45 years ago. Mm. Just And all I want is, please, let me see the world. I saw through books, magazines, and newspapers for, <laughs> for all that time. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and what a joyous ride it's been. It's been beautiful. Jumpstart program is one i like to speak to. They're a reentry program, Christ-centered. <clears throat> Bring volunteers in, some more volunteers, much like Frankie son did, as well as the Kairos program, another one. The Christian-based programs that come in, I like I said, God hugs us through the people He puts in our life. Yes, and I've been hugged continually on the inside, and the same people continue to hug me today. Mm. So now I've been home three days short of a year, and what a what a glorious year it's been! Uh, actually, 30 days after I <clears throat> was returned to the society, I had COVID 19. So, you know, I had to go, right?
0: Quarantine.
1: <laughs> quarantine. <laughs> I said, I mean, God had a little talk about this one. <laughs> I said, you know, I 45 years of quarantine is not enough. You know, you got to slap me with this one. A <laughs>
0: few more days. Just a few more
1: days. But I had an approach to life that I adopted in prison. I asked myself, what are you doing while you're waiting? Life is about waiting, but prison is it's really an, an emphasized. You know, you're waiting for your next parole hearing. You're waiting to get out of your cell in the morning. You're waiting because you're totally dependent on the captor's key. Mm-hmm. So... I said, what am I going to do while I'm waiting? I got quarantine time and I'm in the world again, I'm so happy. And I realized because I give my testimony a fair amount from CIU training, I hadn't written out my new one. I'm free, physically free. (laughs) I've been spiritually free for years. So as I sat down on my trusty new Android and typed (laughs) out my, my story, I sent it to a friend who sent it to a friend of ours. And it's now I've turned into eight thousand different brochures, or eight so eight thousand brochures sent back into the prison system, because my goal was to be, I'd develop a prison ministry. But that ministry now has even blossomed beyond that. I re I reached to youth groups and to a uh, gang task force in Greenville County as an opportunity to reach the youth, the troubled youth, much as I had been that teenager, and also to. Uh, of course, share my testimony with the world of God's grace and that mercy that Judge has for all of you.
0: Exactly. Ago. So
1: here I am today, mm. uh, traveling, crossing the state. I just had to get a new car this week. I think I wore the other one out. I put 17,000 <laughs> miles on it. And so I, I guess wow. a little over seven months just running up and down the highway, right. God opening opportunities to do this. And That's of course, so I've appeared awesome. on the Unshackled radio dramatization program.
0: Yeah, I um, wanted to mention that specifically because jimmy doesn't tell his story um live it's dramatized as if he's telling his story so if you want to go to unshackled.org and look for the story of um, jimmy mcphee or james mcphee it is very intriguing it's it's excellent they did an excellent job telling your story i also wanted to real quick before we um close out to um ask you so When you are released then from prison, and you have been in there for 44-plus years, um, what do they do to help transition you from inside to outside?
1: Unfortunately, the actual state doesn't have facilities for that. Uh, They have very minimal. uh, They they get you where you want to go with a bus ticket or something, Mm -hmm. but you're pretty much left to your own. Uh except for programs like Jumpstart, which is a re-entry program, Christ Center, trained you on the inside through the Purpose Driven Life book by Rick Warren, Mm -hmm. uh, developing your purpose. And I like to speak to that too, because it's so important, the the element I took away from that program. But you know, when a person develops or understands their purpose, understands that God's put you here for all of us to make a difference, whether it's go and make disciples, or whether it's just being a part of bringing all the prophet's promises into being. We all have a, a, part, a hand in that. And when I understood that, I got up every morning, even within prison walls, motivated to make a difference in someone's life. Mm-hmm. But also, brings I wanted to work every day to bring honor and dignity to the life that I took, to my family, and, of course, to God himself who has made all the happen you know exactly and i get up every morning and say what you got for me today god let's do it you know and i'm so full of joy every day now as i went i developed a prison ministry on the rock ministries and uh the on the rock is threefold it's kind of how the name came about uh the rock of course is jesus christ uh we know that to the second verse of 40th psalm my life verse is they set my feet upon a rock and established my steps and I love that whole idea. That's exactly what he's done. Got me mm-hmm. upright and got me running. And then, of course, that a prison cell block, the common area on the bottom floor is called the rock area. Wow. And my ministry is to reach back to those guys. So my my ministry is on the rock ministries. but my my website is ontherockjimmy.org. dot on org.
0: dot org. Right. So if you want to. Um if you are interested in having Jimmy come speak for your event or at your church or for whatever, if you just want to get to know him, uh, you can contact him there at, Jim- at ontherockjimmy.org. And uh, I will say, he is, I feel like we've been friends for a long time. Um, and I basically have just met him face to face. But um, what a story, what a redemption story. This is the personification of what God does to transform a life for His honor and for His glory. And thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. And is there anything you else you want to say?
1: I'd like to cl- close with just a little bit more of my journey since I've been home. I'm three sure. days short of being home. Uh, I've for been, a I've year, been for yes. One year, right. Okay, in January, I told you I formed a ministry. It's a 501c3. I've got a board of directors, you name it. It's uh, on the rock ministries. In January, I was ordained as a minister. Many people talk about like, this guy needs to be ordained. He's been doing this 20 years, mm-hmm. way before he got here, and he's still continuing to do it. And then just a month later, I was hired as a corporate chaplain <clears throat> up in Landrum, South Carolina, <clears throat> to what basically I call it. I, I, I told my boss, I feel like I need to be paying you mm-hmm. because my job description. Is to make friends wow. and to talk about Jesus.
0: Exactly what yeah. God's purposed you to do. Yeah, exactly.
1: And, and, and just amazing. Uh, he's taking care of me now financially. Just continues. You know, we. You know, he's the Jehovah Jireh, and you know, he's the provider. Exactly. And uh, he continues to enrich my life in so many ways, and it'll never be about the things. It'll be about the things we can do for others. Exactly. And it's feel so full to, to be able to do that every day. Well, I so cannot <laughs> wait to continue to
0: watch this journey to see what else God has in store for you um, because obviously His favor is upon you. Um, and I would like before we um, end the podcast to pray for you, if that would be all right. Please. Okay. Heavenly Father, what a joy to experience your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, your deep love for us through the power of the cross and through the Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray an extra measure of your grace now on Jimmy as you um, have orchestrated his freedom, not only spiritually now, Father, but also on the outside of the prison walls to be able to continue to minister to those inside the prison walls as well as those outside father what a joy it is to meet him a privilege and an honor because he is your child he wants to um, honor you with his life I can see that and his enthusiasm and his um, just excitement of telling his story and I pray father that you continue to bring opportunities for him to do that to impact people's lives to bring them to the foot of the cross to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and to further your story with our stories. Lord, we love you. We give you praise and honor and glory in what you already have done and in what you are going to do. For it's in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And this concludes the Live and Roll podcast. And um Please go to ontherockjimmy.org for more information about his story. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Living Real Podcast. I hope you've been encouraged today to draw closer to Christ through his word, to pray for a heart that's fully devoted to him, and to engage with your circle of influence as you seek to live like Christ. I'm already looking forward to our time together next month. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Living Real Mag, and visit our website at www.livingrealmag.com. Until next time, we are in your corner cheering you on to live real for Jesus' sake.